Hey everybody, welcome back to Swedenborgian Life Live. Today we're going to be talking about the wise men, the three gifts, and the star of Bethlehem. Mm. Pretty good spread there. My name is Curtis Childs. I'll be your host. With me is Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor of the New Century Edition, translation hey of Manuel Swedenborg. Thank Thanks you. for hanging out, man. Nice to uh, how, do you, how do you like the show so far? Like and subscribe to show your appreciation. Really, the whole reason we've been able to do this series is you guys being willing to make a couple of clicks because that gets us out there into the world. We much appreciate mm-hmm. you taking this journey with us. a big us. difference. We are going to be following up from the show that we did last week, which was called The Psychology of Jesus, believe it or not, where we were going in and picking through actually stories from the Old Testament. Do you remember this? Mm, yeah. And it was intense. Oh, man, I'm still recovering from it. And we would say that these things like I, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they actually, these stories symbolize things within Jesus. That the Bible is written in what Swedenborg called correspondences, which are these deep, multifaceted, beyond a metaphor, but that's the closest mm. thing we have to it. Storytelling, it's like a giant parable uh, in, within a parable. We want to continue that trend, you know? Because if we are saying that the Old Testament can tell you things about Jesus because it's all written in symbolic language. Well, guess what? Swedenborg has a New Testament is as well. Including like the Christmas story. That's what we're going to go into today. We're going to look at this story wow, of the okay. wise men coming in. And can we give it the same treatment and figure out what are the things huh. in it, like the stars, like the gifts, what do they mean? Yeah, right. right so right, right. what's the worst that could happen? Uh, <clears throat> to prevent the worst that could happen, let's warm up a little bit first. Yeah, this is the thing we do every week. This is an audience participation part, so get your keyboard fingers ready. Let's do our icebreaker. If you're in the chat right now, we want, we're going to answer a question. We'll do our best. You yes. do the same thing. Right. And then at the end of the show, we're going to be busily, like busy bees, compiling all your answers. And then at the end of the show, we're going to read them because we want to know what you think. And we want to like kind of steal your best thoughts and, and put them into action in our life, right? So this is the question. <laughs> what is this? We were talking about the gifts of the wise men. What is a spiritual gift that you could give or receive? This wow, one. that's an interesting one. Yeah, spiritual socks. What? Because and this gets into the definition. Of what is this definition of spiritual in the first place? From a Swedenborgian perspective, what do you make of that? What, Something that warms yeah. your spiritual feet. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that I had a mentor who since passed on, and at the time that he was talking to me, I was I was sort of familiar with the Bible, but I could see that he just loved it. And he wasn't telling me that I needed to love it. He was just loving it and quoting things to me and stuff like that. And uh, that's really had a lasting, I sort of wanted what he had. You know, it's like, oh wait, I want to love scripture that much that I'm weeping when I read. So, you know, that's the way that he was. And so that was a real spiritual gift that he, he gave me, even extending beyond his lifetime in this world. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So that, he was able to actually change the way that you see something. Just yeah, an example. I don't even know if he, I mean, I'm sure he was conscious of giving it to me, but it was simply in his being the way that he yeah. was and communicating with me. It gave me that gift, you know, so. It's interesting that, that there was, when Swedenborg describes this inner sense of the Bible, for example, or really our whole process of regeneration, it's always, not in a negative way, but in a positive way, self-focused. That he's not there telling us how we're supposed to go and 
do things with other people, how we're supposed to judge their spiritual state. You're actually not supposed to, but you are doing a ton of work looking at yourself and honestly trying to push away the bad. And so him, rather than him saying, Jonathan, I'm going to do this, by him just pursuing what he felt like was good and true, he gives you this gift. Yeah, that's right. I would say, well, I just was thinking now, uh, when when you said that, um, I always liked stuff that was cute. But, but so my wife teaches, uh, teaches little kids in preschool and the way that like the way she loves, you know, that kind of mindset, but also the way she approaches it with patience. And mm. it just has improved like m- me as a father and just, and also appreciating little things. I do feel like that's kind of rubbed off on me. You know, it doesn't have that's to be, great. A, it can be anything right, in, right. in life, but I do feel, find myself like, oop, I picked up a, something good in my, cause to Swedenborg, the spirit and the psyche are almost interchangeable. That's right. It's about a change in your thoughts and feelings. And, right. Uh, yeah, that's right. So I, I uh, received that little gift you know, from her. Nice. What about you? Yeah, that's great. And, and when did you guys give? It's harder for us to say when we gave, because I might think, I gave this great spiritual gift. Oh, I really helped that person. Yeah, and they're like, oh my gosh, when is he going to stop doing <laughs> this internet show? And <laughs> so what, what do you think? We'd love to hear what's a spiritual gift that you could give or receive. Maybe you have a different take on the meaning of the question. That's fine. We won't, yeah. we won't ban you. Okay. Now, are you ready? Let's take a look, as we said, about at the, the wise men and the star. get into this there's a familiar scene to anybody who's you know seen christmas movies probably read the story in the new testament the wise men and we weren't sure actually when we were naming this episode more people call them the magi or the wise men what are they known as yeah there are different those are the two main names that i i hear but whatever you call them they're these they're these guys right pretty pretty iconic three people with the gifts coming to the star why? Why those details? Why this story? Let's first, to prove that this actually happened, here's the quote uh, from Matthew. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, sages from eastern parts came into Jerusalem saying, Where is the one born as king of the Jews? Because we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And if we're going to have the audacity last episode to say that when Abraham travels to another country, that means something about the spiritual side of life and about Jesus and all these things, that's got to mean something as well, right? So this, yeah, is, right. this is where Swedenborg, or where we're going to start with our Swedenborg interpretation. And this is from Secrets of Heaven 3762. The sages from eastern parts, that would be these, who came to Jesus when he was born, hailed from the people called the children of the east. So here we have him putting these people into sort of a cultural context. As can be seen from the consideration that they knew the Lord would be born and learned of his coming from a star that appeared to them in the east. Mm. The children of the east who were from Syria had received this prophecy long before, as Balaam's prophecy and Moses about the Lord's coming shows. So he's saying, look, I'm going to give you a little history on who these people were, and I'm going to try to back Mm. it up with scriptural quotes. I see him, but not now. I view him, but he is not near. A star will rise out of Jacob and a scepter will spring up from Israel. Mm. 
The following words in Moses make it clear that Balaam, the guy giving that, was from the land of the children of the east, or Syria. Balaam uttered his pronouncement and said, From Syria has Balak brought me from the mountains of the east. Mm, okay. And that was all the way back in the five books of Moses, as indicated yeah. there in, in Numbers, that you get this prophecy looking forward, and I see him but not now. Yeah. Uh, that he's coming and it has something to do okay. with the East. So getting an introduction to symbolic sort of language there. Right, and so Swedenborg learned in the course of his spiritual experiences that there had been this ancient religion before even Old Testament times, mm. and that it had existed in several kingdoms or countries in the East and the Middle East, such as, and here's a list of them, Canaan, Syria, Assyria, Arabia, Ethiopia, Egypt, Chaldea, Tyre, Sidon. They were actually cities. Great Tartary. Hmm. What's, Great Tar- what's Great Tartary? Great Tartary on 18th century maps is, is north of the Great Wall of China. Okay. It's like Mongolia and other areas up there. Sweet, avid Swedenborgians may recognize Greater Tartary from Swedenborg's proclamation that yes. the ancient word, which preceded the Bible but shared a little material with it, he said at the time of his writing still existed somewhere in Greater Tartary. Yes, it's gone from most parts of the world where yeah. it was, but you might still find a remnant of it there. People have Greater tried, Tartary. right? No one ever found it. I do, uh, yeah, there are some people who think they might have sort of caught a little... Uh. Wisp okay. of it or something, but okay, yeah, so there it's a, you go. it remains one of those mysteries. It's, it's, a, it's like we need Indiana Jones to go out there yeah. and bring back the greater Tartary ancient word. Some of those places we just saw are older names for areas that we would now call Israel or Palestine, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Tibet, China, Russia, India, so a huge part of the world. But that, so that's where he's saying this ancient church was and the culture that sort of these guys sprung out of. Right, and so that's east of us and so yeah. on. But then the question comes of if it's symbolic, even the Christmas story, which is so freaky to think about, but if even the Christmas story is symbolic in yeah. some way, it's freaking in me addition out. to have its, having its own literal, very important meaning, vital meaning, but what would the land of the east symbolize in the Bible? Well, Swedenborg actually explains it this way in Secrets of Heaven 3249. The good that comes of faith, and hanging there, because he'll explain this a little better. That's classic Swedenborg. Isn't it? Isn't it? The good that comes of faith, and it has to do with good actions that you do. When you have faith in your mind, then there are good things that you do. That itself, that sort of spiritual quality, symbolized by the land of the East, is just what the word calls charity for one's name. Oh, I know what that, like, Mm. that's being kind to other people, right? Right. That's, okay, that I get. And charity for one's neighbor is just a life that accords with the Lord's commandments, because the way to be really loving to somebody is to stop killing, stealing, <laughs> doing all those things <laughs> that hurt you other so people. Much. Because of it, people who knew what there was to know about the good that comes of faith were called, quote unquote, children of the East. And he means in, in the Bible they're referred to that way, children of the East. And Syria, interesting little point here, was home to the last survivors of the ancient church. So knowledge of goodness and truth still remained there, and yeah. that's where these wise men came from, apparently. An interesting kind of cross there of there actually being people in the East that were from this ancient church, but also the East meaning this, mo- this mindset of An attitude, love. right, yeah. a mindset. Right, right. It just so happens people in the East had remnants of this 
mindset as well. Yeah, right. So that's that's getting into what he called the children of the East, or the, this, the, the culture that these wise men came from. But let's just talk about East itself as a direction. Why does... Well, I mean, that wouldn't have a meaning, would it? Just like East? Well, i got to introduce you to what Swedenborg is like to explore, because okay. everything You're has a meaning. Mind. I'm going to actually, I'm going to add the star to that okay. as well. East and the star. Yeah. You're going to do them both degree of difficulty Let's move. See okay. What I can. okay, come on, sacred scripture 22, I mean 23. The star that went before them meant a new insight from heaven. And that is starting to be awesome to me, because if you think about this star as a character is what's leading people to Jesus, mm. and and Jesus being a symbol of you know divine love and wisdom made flesh. And this is this is where we're all trying to get to, mm. and the idea that oh, there's a particular insight that you can see, and that that gets you to move and come to it, and you know that movement wow. spiritually is a change of state. I love I, the, I, this. May sound like I'm freaking out about nothing, but that's cool. That is awesome because what it means is that like around Christmas you think about these events that were thousands of years ago or yeah. something. But like this is something that's still accessible, like that star could still, still be seen in your mind's eye. Like if you saw yeah. something of heaven, you yeah. would be seeing that star and it would be taking you in a positive direction, right? How many times have we had stars pop up of you realize something and this leads you out of a way that you were or towards something better? You t that, that image of seeing a star in the sky and like wanting to get to where it was, so it becomes... That's open. really cool. And of course... Uh, forever people navigated by the stars when you're s sailing on the yes. ocean or on land. I still do. Clear night. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. You know, I can GPS, barely navigate uh, by GPS. No, no point in GPS. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so there are other quotes that Swedenborg says as well about the East. Mm. Let's have a look at Apocalypse Explained or Revelation Explained 422. Since the Lord is the East, East. What? And Swedenborg sometimes has a riff about the idea that actually what East means in Scripture, because that's where the rising sun occurs and everything, yes. is uh, that means the Lord. So okay. the Lord is the East. Since the Lord is the East, the star was seen by the sages from the East. In order, it was seen by the, in order that the story fulfills its correspondential requirements. Yeah, that's right. Because they understood symbolism. And so what was cool was the people who were in the story got what was going on. You know, some people are just, they may play a role in a biblical story, but they don't know what they mean. But yes. these people were actually hip to what was going on. Which you is rare. I mean? Swedenborg says huge pa parts of the Bible past were, that were actual records of history, but the people in them, even though they were playing this very precise part, had no idea. But these people know. But, but these people knew. They understood cool. the symbolism. They knew about the Lord's coming. So they saw the star and it went before them, first to Jerusalem, which represented genuine religion as it relates to doctrine and to the word. So those are teachings and okay. so on. So Jerusalem, first of all, they're taken to teachings. So that's where you go. You go to insights and teachings. And from there to the place where the infant Lord was, where the Lord himself, where that love is. Also, a star symbolizes knowledge about goodness and truth, and in the highest sense, knowledge about the Lord. So what guides you through the dark is having a little knowledge. Like if you know something about the fact that the Lord loves you, that you've, you, you're going to live on after mm. death, 
that you've got your own unique heart and mind and there's a reason for your existence, you know, kind of guides you through the dark world, right? Oh, it totally does. And can take you to, to something better that's represented by the Lord. But what else do we have on the, on the East? And just, that? just one more from AE or AR, whichever your pleasure is. Because the angels in the spiritual heaven, and this is bringing it down to the angelic scale, shine as stars. They do. Swedenborg even talked, doesn't he talk about looking, being in the world of spirits and looking up and seeing all the angelic communities like this, like an amazing set of stars. Just all the constellations. And pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, really. That gives me goosebumps. So they're shining because of goodness and truth, and because all truth and good belonging to them are from the Lord, therefore the Lord, as he is called an angel, because the Lord is sort of the essential angel that angels are actually copies of, angels being us when we get with it, is also called a star. In, in scripture, in other words, so yeah. star is a name. And now that, that's breaking my brain a little bit, though, because yeah. like it's leading you to the Lord, but also is, is the Lord? Uh, as in Moses, a star shall rise, arise out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's also Balaam's prophecy. Isn't and it? in Revelation, Jesus, the bright and morning star. He is called that. That's right. He's called that right at the end of Revelation, the bright and morning star. And is it just because... That's a cool thing to be called. Stars are up high. If you're a star, you're great. Right. There's a very specific reason why call, God doesn't just get called things willy-nilly. There's mm. a reason. If you're called a star, it's because of the quality that you have. Yes, that's right. And the idea of those who have sat in darkness have seen a great light. And so the, the Lord is this light that's come into the world to enlighten uh, people. And so when you first see that... Yeah. It's bound to be like a star surrounded by the night. It's not like a sun coming up yet, but it will become like a, a sunrise yeah. and, and something that's, that warms up your life. I'm no biblical scholar, but that line that you said, those who walk in darkness have seen the great light, that's my most goosebumpy line. Really? I, they, I, it's an awesome, around I'm with you. Around Christmas, you. I'll see like the, the like pageant of that stuff. I'll go watch it. Whenever that line comes in, it just like, Boom. oh, that's something cool. Whatever it that is, is awesome. my, my uh, angels or something understand that line. Whew. Okay, yeah. so um, th we, we talked about this star. Right? We talked about the east. We talked about the wise that's men. That's right. That's true. We pretty much covered it. We covered every detail, except uh, they didn't just come to hang out, right? They've got housewarming gifts oh, in their hands. They've got gifts. And they didn't need to have that. And it's, the nothing is frivolous. So there's got to be a correspondential meaning to the gifts. And we're going to give, no, gift it really? to you in the next section. Seeing that written there, I almost feel like gold, frankincense, and myrrh are almost as famous as the wise men themselves. Like, That's right. Everybody knows that there was gold, not everybody, that there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In fact, we read, the Bible never says how many people there were. There might have been eight or 15 or something. Oh. But the fact that they only had three gifts makes people think there was three of them because right. it, it makes makes sense. But <laughs> Because, well, what did you bring? Well, I brought more frankincense. <laughs> so we're going to read just to prove that, that this really did happen and the gifts weren't just thrown in there afterwards to make Christmas more... Christian, uh, this is... Or Christmassy. Yeah, right. This is, this is more uh, from Matthew. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there we've got the gifts, and it makes sense. Interesting that it needs 
it all makes sense on a literal level. Okay, you've got a baby. Sure. You give gifts. It's not an obviously dependent on symbolic language text. It's not like they did something that you wouldn't do in regular life. Right. Which Especially if you feel like, oh, this person is the future king or something. That's right. Like, yes, yes, you would, you would show that you... Uh, you know, your respect. And You're cool. Here's yeah, this. Right, right. And it, th but so that to even may speak to this greater weaving together of the way life unfolds and, in, the f in the physical world and the spiritual world. That if to tell a story that has all this spiritual value, you end up telling a story that makes sense physically, it seems like there's got to be this amazing link. And the people doing this knew what it meant. It wasn't an accident. That's what they had lying around the house. That's right. You know, they they knew they they specifically brought those three things. Well, let's see. Let's see uh, Swedenborg unpack this some more for us and, and start getting to that. Nothing is more common in the word than for gold to symbolize and represent the goodness that belongs to wisdom or to love. And this, Swedenborg would say that this is why we, as a human race, value gold as much as we do. Mm. Because why of the best, often it's, not always, like with records, you've got platinum that goes even higher. But generally speaking, up. gold is the top, like the gold medal is the best medal and so on. Right. Um, in Matthew 2, 11, too, gold symbolizes goodness. That's the one we just read. Frankincense and myrrh symbolize things that are pleasing to the Lord because they spring from love and faith. Probably one being love, the mm. other being faith. I guess so, and it's like, um, so people would offer those qualities, like that's pleasing to the Lord because you're offering that, that quality, you're, yeah. you're approaching Him from that, that quality. And we're going to give you a little lesson, both here on what it's like to read Swedenborg and the nature of correspondences, because we have three quotes coming up here that all describe those same gifts with slightly different meanings. Okay. And this is both because Swedenborg seemed to be... Like, That's right. He's happy to do that. He's happy to say this means this. Oh, it means this. He's, he's not sort of rigid. It's not like yes. a hard and fast box. There yeah. are different ways of looking at these things that all point in the same positive direction. And he does indicate that biblical correspondences are, rather than being one-to-one -one matches, it's, are almost containers for, dare I say, infinite spiritual yes, meanings. right. There's unbelievable depth inside there if you could see it. Yes. That's right. So here we're going to see him describing sort of different facets, I guess you could say, of each of these gifts. Okay. Well, so, let's explore this. Uh, all right. How about sacred scripture number 23? Gold meant what is good on the heavenly level. Frankincense, what is good on the spiritual level. And myrrh, what is good on the earthly level. And these three are the basis of all worship. So what I take that to mean is that there are actually, the way he describes the heavens, there are different ways. Like some people, you know what it says in the scriptures about worshiping the Lord with your whole heart. Yeah. That kind of thing. Uh, some people approach it more from the standpoint of the mind. Like they're mm. just dazzled by the beauty of, of truth and how satisfying, you know, and how amazing everything is. And some people do it through loving actions. You know, they're, they're all about the action or something. And so these are three ways to approach the Lord. And so it's like they knew that and they brought those gifts to say, these are all, this is the entire range yeah. of quite diverse ways of approaching and loving the Lord. That's awesome. All right, let's, so next we got a, a description from Secrets of Heaven. 
Gold symbolized heavenly love, frankincense, spiritual love, and myrrh, both kinds of love on an earthly level. This, the distinction that I see here is ah. that instead of giving three kinds of good or love, there's the myrrh is the, the heavenly and spiritual together being put to use on an <laughs> earthly level. That's pretty great. Yeah. And they're all so explicit here. He says goodness before that can be kind of vague to people. Yes. But he's definitely saying love here. It's, it's love, love, and love. That's yes. what it means. And this is one kind of love. That's another kind of love. And this is both kinds on that outside level that it's coming both right. from that. Getting together that, there. Okay, we'll yeah, go one more. Right. Mm. Okay, this is Apocalypse Explained 491. Gold symbolizes heavenly goodness. Okay, sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Frankincense, spiritual goodness and myrrh, earthly goodness, and then he adds a tagline that you don't see elsewhere. Thus, the three kinds of goodness of the three heavens. So, these people seem to know about the symbolism and the different heavens, and the heavens are those grand, you know, there's just like myriads and myriads of angels yeah. worshiping the Lord in these different ways. And so, it kind of embodied the whole thing. And so, you think about just this, Here's a little gold, but it's got all this power behind it, right? You know, here's some frankincense, here's some... Uh, if anyone's not familiar, Swedenborg did describe sort of a striation of heaven along these different levels. Right. But th there was an earthly level, or a natural level, a right. spiritual level, a celestial or heavenly level. But those distinctions are not done the way you would make a distinction on earth. Here you would put up... Uh, cones or a fence or something to, <laughs> right. to a barrier to right. separate one from the other yeah in whichever one check you your ID and yeah, that's right. Right. right that's right now I left it at home I promise I'm on the list and whichever one you moved into that's where you'd go but spiritually things are differentiated by what's inside so the heavens exist in these different levels not because there's any kind of outside um, right fencing it's because you believe and live and love and interact in a certain way, so you naturally congregate on here. It's like different right. kinds of fluid finding their level if they right. if they're different. Yeah, and right, right, and so it's it's so hard to describe. It's, it sort of blows my mind. But if you can, um, if you just picture, you know, in your experience of different people that they're different. Right. You know, some people are more warm-hearted, some are more cerebral or whatever. And if you just picture, those are spiritual places and they're mm -hmm. already in those spiritual places. And so those places have all the people who are that way. You know, yeah. it's not you over here, you over here. Yeah. You know, someone with a gun, you know, <laughs> you know, separating everybody or something. No, it's just that's where your heart, that's, that's where you really are. It's, yes. Heaven is more about reality, even than this world, in a way. Right, right. And that we are, as we've mentioned in a couple other shows, while we may think we're not really doing anything here on Earth, we're just traveling a little ways, get to our job, come home, we are moving on this grand journey through the spiritual world, and we are coming to eventually find our home. Yeah, there. And finding that, our place. And that, that That's right. even that we talk about these different layers of heaven, but it's not like, oh, you couldn't make it to this one, so you're at this one. That Each of those layers are doing something for the, the totality of it. So right. each, each angel is contributing in the way that's best for them. And even you think of you know, going up and that, the, oh, the heavenly angels would be way better than the spiritual angels. But there's all this fascinating material about spiritual angels actually teaching the heavenly angels because spiritual right. angels are more intellect-focused. So right. even though the heavenly angels have this great 
heart wisdom. They do sometimes need fact-oriented people. So there's this cool interplay. And they interplay. appreciate it so much. That's right. Yeah. And I imagine, so the, the ones who are about love just say, oh, I just, you get in these areas of thought that just blow my mind or something. Yeah. You know, I just love that. And patient, oh, these people are just about action, like get up in the morning and right. do it. You know, I sit here philosophizing or whatever. That's right. You're all about action. So there's a lot of mutual love that holds the whole system to get. It's not a hierarchy of like domination. Or, yeah. You know. Right, right. And that everybody. I'm, I'm, better. I'm, I'm celestial, so I'm ahead of you in the line. Yeah. I get to board the plane first. Or well, and we talk about internal states dictating where you go. That what you just described, I'm better than you is the heaviest spiritual thing that exists. <laughs> so the more you, believing you're greater than someone else, right. drags Ooh, you down. You, down you go. And yeah, it, in right. fact, you can't even get into heaven until you've jettisoned that stuff. So nobody, That's right. the highest people, the people that get to the highest level in heaven, uh, think they're the least amazing people right. in the universe. They're totally humble. They yeah. just, well, the Lord is great. I mean, yeah. I have nothing to write home about. But yeah. Well, it's and this is a you know, discussion for an entirely different program, but there's this fascinating commentary there on Swedenborg being able to solve the problem of what seems to be the intrinsic hierarchy in the human race. That, yes. there, that there's this huge uh, uneven distribution of skills and good fortune and whatever right. else matters to you. Just mind or heart. Yeah. Or, that's all kinds of things, abilities. And, yeah. and how, are you, how are you ever going to have an existence where there's not the haves and have-nots. Well, the way you square that equation is that actually none of us have anything mm. compared to God. And that, mm. that the, the more amazing you get, like these angels who can think in a way that just would blow you away, speak in a way, they look like they're super awesome, but they 100% just think, oh, God, God is doing everything cool. Me, I'm like, I'm nobody special. And so in that way, you can get this harmony. After their statement's over, they just say, well... <laughs> They, someone else says, oh, that was awesome. And they say, oh, that was lucky. <laughs> you know, I'm glad right. it was. Like, and that, it had nothing to do with me. And then for, Swedenborg describes angels really being averse to even somebody saying, like, yeah. you're awesome. They say, I'm not. Hey, uh, oh, yeah. Leave me out of this. No, no, right, right. No. <laughs> Be, and that's, you don't understand how, how this thing works. That gets at the next thing we want to say about these gifts because the feeling that accompanies all this humility and stuff is absolute joy and really? gratitude for the nature of God. For, for how awesome the setup is. And we, we here are going to be reading about how these gifts were being brought out of joy, an expression yeah, of joy. Yeah, because I've, I've pictured humility, you know, like yeah. bowing down and, yeah. and this humility, even though these are, some people describe them as kings or the, they're wise people from yeah. the East, but they have such, so I've thought of this humility, but joy is, is uh, that's an interesting that's a new one for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's take, a look, yeah. let's take a look at the quote here. This is Apocalypse Explained 324. Many in the East still knew about the symbolism of things. Ah, there we and go. And they were yeah. therefore called children of the East. Oh, that's why they had that yeah. label. was not, not because of being in the geographical yeah. East, as we're saying, but, but because of what they knew. People devoted to knowing about truth and goodness are what is meant by the children of the East. Mm. Mentioned in the Word. The knowledge of correspondences had remained among them, so in order to express their joy of heart, Whoa. They offered gifts that symbolized every type of goodness from first to last. <laughs> that is really, really great. This is what was foretold in Isaiah. They will come from Sheba and bring gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of Jehovah. A couple interesting things there. The first one is that 
that there you see love and wisdom together because they had this amazing joy, which would be the love in it. But instead of just saying, all right, we're just going to go there and be so happy, they, the joy <laughs> wanted to express itself through this complex, well-thought-out gift that we're going to give you all these things that symbolize because we feel like that is going to do the most good for you and be the greatest expression of this joy. Yeah, you'd think you'd be like swirling your hair around in a circle or, you know, <laughs> dancing furiously or yeah. something like that. Okay, so you but saw my audition cool. tapes. <laughs> <laughs> that they, they thought this is, the, this is the most beautiful, you know, yeah. to express how thrilled we are about this salvation that's coming into the world, this new light, this uplifting of the human race. Okay. It's like, oh gold check it out and frankincense the way that smells is so amazing frankincense really yeah. is amazing and myrrh was like stuff, stuff that you would use for soap for cleansing you know they just they have quite different qualities these three substances but somehow create this complete package yeah and some of you at home may be watching and saying there's there's no way you would have joy and humility around god does that make sense that you mm. wouldn't you, this, uh, that doesn't seem like a realistic human emotion that you would get there about that. So what I'm imagining is, mm. think about, let's, let's just go from a totally egocentric perspective. Or not, but like non-awakened. Yeah, let's go from our default state. <laughs> let's say that I was, it's hard for me to imagine being so excited about how awesome God is that I just completely jettison all feelings of, I just come into a primary state of gratitude. But what if somebody gave me everything that I wanted? So let's say right now that somebody came up and handed me a check for $14 million. And they said, this, I'm actually going to make you the coolest person in the world. <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to, um, what else do people want? I'm going to give you, here's a, here's a, a villa that's in um, the coral triangle so you could snorkel there all you want i'm going to alter your past so that this thing didn't happen and this thing didn't <laughs> i'm giving you everything you want um you could feel like you have such an abundance that you no longer care about tit for tat with people you just right. you do want to pass it along so that's a terrible example because it's all these worldly things but from what I understand, when we realize the reality of how good life is, when, when we see what God is going, going to, the, the states of happiness and joy and the setup mm. that God has, the things that are coming down the pike, you really can get into a mode where no longer is your primary sense of joy, you are standing in the hierarchy, but you're just so overwhelmed at how great love is that you do just want to give it out, you know? I think it's really cool to, I hadn't thought about it before, that they were feeling that intense joy and it had to be no small sacrifice to give up whatever was going on in their lives. They probably had interesting lives, yeah. but they gave that up and traveled a long, long way, you know, to, to, to see this. Um, and they were feeling all that joy uh, on the basis of ideas you know what i mean like they had symbolic ideas in yeah. their minds but they were pretty big ideas about the fact that the human race was getting into a dark state hmm. that that god himself was going to be born into this world to bring that love and truth into the world and first it would appear as this truth like a star and then it would grow and and have this sort of human 
teacher, loving healer sort of presence and and that that was eventually, it would take a long time, but that was eventually going to radically transform the state of our planet. It was really going to be a turning point. And so they, hey, and we're alive right now. We can go, you yeah. know. So it's pretty cool. Talk about your faith in action. No wonder that's what these guys mean, yeah. right? <laughs> because they've got a set of concepts in their minds, but they're so real to them and so true that they're willing to cross the, you know, a huge part of the known world to go bring these symbolic gifts to this little child, you know. Yeah. They don't get to see him in, in action when he's 30 years old or something. He's just a little child. But they, get, they totally get it. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, this, this is very much something worth doing. This is huge. And we got to be here. We got to understand what this was. Yeah. We got to know what this moment was when the rest of the world is in darkness. They don't even know what's happening. But yeah. we're here. We see what this is. And the amazing thing is we're all going to have that moment or have a mm. series of moments like that. Because this, the nature of correspondences and the nature of the story about Jesus is that it's the path that we can all walk down. The so, story's not done. Yeah, so that we, the, you know, whatever insight it is, that whatever perception we get in our mind that makes us realize there's something over there that leads us on whatever journey to where we actually get to the, the Lord, you're going to have this same feeling mm. that they had, but your version of it. Whew. When you get there, yeah, can you imagine? Really? Right, right. That's right. Okay, so that's the promise. Those are the correspondences. Crazy to think that you can even unpack the story about Jesus to kind of learn more about God. That's the promise of the Swedenborgian correspondence lens through which you can look at Scripture. We've mm. done it a little bit tonight. Hopefully you enjoyed that game. Maybe you didn't, or maybe, just maybe, you have questions about it. We're going to try to answer those next. Okay, everybody, it's an easy game to play. All you've got to do is write down a question in the chat room and... <laughs> oh, then we have to answer it. Okay, oh, good that's luck. Not easy for What's us? the worst that could happen? Okay, okay. here we go. <laughs> Immortal Blue asks, What makes the spiritual level of heaven better than the natural level of heaven? How intensely good is a spiritual or second heaven? Mm. We chatted a little bit about this, but I'd love the opportunity to go a little farther into yeah, this. Yeah, right. I, Great uh, question. Let me let me poison the well first, which is to say that there ain't no heaven better than the one you go to. For you, that's the tops. The well, that that you for anybody, would, and for, like that's the that's the highest. For, for me personally, right? That, that if you, it's not like man, the spiritual heaven is so great. I'm here on the natural heaven. I got to visit the spiritual heaven for a day. It was so much better than what I have here. All those luckers up there. Yes, that, that it's most joyful for you to be in the place where you are. And that your joy, he talks about people's, uh, you know, like, like you have a cup and it's completely full where you are. If you, if you went to a different space, it actually is, can be painful. It turns to pain. Yeah, yeah that's right. And you can have difficulty breathing and so on. Yeah. And so when you go back down from that, just like in this world, if you Altitude. went up to such a high mountain that you can hardly breathe, it's like, oh, you're so glad to be down by sea level yeah. where you can breathe more easily. Um, so that's true. And so the trick there is to get to the point where, because Swedenborg really does say the joy in some sense is, is higher 
Yeah. Uh, but it's about your capacity yeah. to receive that. And so in terms of the, the spiritual, the way that Swedenborg describes the natural or earthly heaven, the spirits there are not really particularly interested in, in learning. They're so focused on doing hmm. that there's not a whole lot of development. The way Swedenborg describes it, at least at the time that he was writing, uh, they would have a higher angel come down like once every you know a thousand years to say, uh, keep doing this and don't go don't go astray, right. you know, because they don't. And this, you bump into people like this in life who they, they don't want to think about it, they don't want to debate about it, they don't yeah. want to get into a big elaborate thing. Just tell me what to do, and I'm just going to go do it. And so, uh, from that standpoint, that's being open to the level of your actions. When you get open at the level of your mind, there's all this richness that's added to that if you can stand it. Yeah. It's not for everybody, you know, and thank heavens there's the different levels because you need them all. You need your feet, you need your ears, yeah. you know, you, the brain and the feet are very different organs, but you, you need, you know, it's nice to have them all. Yeah. Even within, within, we were talking about these heavens like they're monolithic, but even within individual communities, he describes different niches that are there, people with different levels of love or different That's levels right. of wisdom and different kinds. So it's not, he was actually, to be able to divide it easily into these is, is a pretty high level insight that he had. If you got there and just started looking around, you might not realize there's all these distinctions, but he was stepping back and seeing the order underlying. Um, and so in terms of how yeah. intensely good it is, I think the uh, Swedenborg describes that there were uh, spirits that were lifted up into heaven and they got to the point of what they felt was the furthest extreme of most yes. outrageous joy. And they were like on a rather chilly outer part of the lowest heaven. The lowest heaven. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so if you got the capacity, it takes some transformation and the Lord knows how to get you ready for that. But it, it's uh, the joys are absolutely tremendous. I mean, they're supposed to be just ridiculously great if you can handle it. Just a couple of thoughts. And there are ways to travel all over the spiritual world that negate these sort of um, difficulties in acclimating to different places. Much sure. like here, you can have right. cabin pressure and that sort of thing. So it's not like you could never visit. But the point that I was hoping to get across is that it's not like there's a party and you, you're just not on the list. Right. That's it's not, not like that. Yeah, so you really get the party you want. And at any time, people are allowed to go up, and sometimes they get, like he describes, people who get like a 10-day pass or something, you know, and they go up and they, they have a wonderful time, but by the end of it, they're really kind of ready to go back. You know, so it's fun to go, it's just like traveling here. Fun to, fun to go, you know, yeah. visit or something like that, but after a while, you want to go home. He gives a metaphor at one point for it where he describes a farmer who is... That's right. Like, <laughs> used to eating a certain kind of meal, and, and loves it and just like this like farm to table, good fresh food, simple surroundings, like that's where I want to be. Take that person and put them at some kind of royalty dinner and, and where you have to eat. Fancy sauces and, and like pickled something yeah. rather that you never heard of. First you got to take the, oh no, is it the outer fork or you take the inner fork first? And this is just <laughs> it's not, like agony. <laughs> it's like you could do it, but you'd never want to do it, you right. know? So that there's something of that in there that, that you, Different people have different things that they love. Right. And the point of God is to get people into the things they love. You know, so, so you're going to get to have what you love, and, and the joy is there. And, and the joy is all shared, so it's this amazing, right. you know what I mean? It's not like you're deprived of that 
that's flowing down from above, right? You know, everybody's sharing their joy with everybody. Yeah. So that's part of the nature of heaven is that you're all part of this one glorious thing with many levels on it. And so nobody's sitting around, I don't think, crying about, oh, I didn't get into this, you know, heaven or something. Another thing about, I feel like we keep coming back to this dynamic to show that heaven is not this a bunch of gated communities and some <laughs> right. are richer. And, That's a good analogy. Um, yeah. Because Swedenborg talks about these things he calls societies of friendship. And in a negative sense, these are communities that are they're actually not heavenly. And the thing that's wrong with them is that they all really like each other, but they consider sort of everyone who's not in their group not as good On as them. The or they yeah. don't care, but they don't think about them. They only think about themselves. And that that actually has the effect of draining the joy out of passing spirits. It causes Swedenborg's harm. He has to admonish them that in heaven, you're not even groups in heaven that only care about themselves and just and think like, yeah, the rest of heaven is cool, but we here uh, with this particular community, we're the best in heaven. Even that mindset is not part of heaven. I think it's more like I've, some of these communities in heaven sound, it's a weird analogy, but they're almost more like businesses than they are like a, a, right. a suburb, or, you know, like yeah. a bedroom community or something like that. Um, because he says they're like the organs of the body. So you just think the, the body really needs this mm -hmm. substance, this hormone, this, you know, this vitamin or this yeah. whatever it is that I'm releasing in, into the bloodstream. And, and for the sake of everybody else, I'm going to do my best to try to make this really good quality whatever it is, you know, an acid for the stomach or, a, yeah. you know. Well, that is, that is the joy of heaven. You think, what is, what's so great about heaven? We're talking about this bliss in the spiritual heaven. Is it because the view is really amazing and that the food right. is good? All that stuff is there, but the thing, the joy, this indescribable joy, is that joy of loving the rest of the human race and knowing I am making people happy through doing what I'm doing. That's heaven. And our group is like the pituitary gland that produces this, you yeah. know, and that everybody need. we know how much people need it and they yeah. appreciate it and we put it out and it just fills us with joy. It's so happy to be able to supply something that the rest of the body can't do without this group doing this. That's the defining characteristic of heaven. The where you are, what it looks like, the, how it's organized, that's all details. That's right. heaven. That's right. Okay, let's take a look at nice. the next one. Good question. Sean Smith asks, oh yeah, great questions. How do we regain knowledge of correspondence the ult as the ultimate science? That's a, it's a great question. And this is mm. something that Swedenborg does say was of huge interest to people in the spiritual or the most ancient church that we were talking about That's before. Right. That's right. And I, just, yeah. I just found a letter the other day from Swedenborg uh, to not lying around my office or something. From Swedenborg a, to you? A, a, isn't that great? <laughs> no, it had been this, in the mail for a couple hundred years. This is just years. a sideline. But once when I was at, at, in school, yeah. uh, the school that I was attending got a letter from the Long Island Lighting Company to Emanuel Swedenborg. I guess it was a pretty big bill, you know, for like 200 years of electricity. <laughs> I think somebody must have signed up with the electric code. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. No, but okay, so, I, I need it, to ask you it, more about it, that. It, yes, right. In real life, uh, <laughs> no, that was real, but um, okay. Swedenborg wrote a letter that got published by Alfred Acton in his book called Letters and Memorials, where Swedenborg wrote to someone who was at a university, and he said, hey, you at the university should study correspondences because 
we need to lift this thing back up. Really? And he was saying, I've given the rudiments of it, you know, like the, the, so the ABCs in Apocalypse Revealed, which is a book all about the correspondence to the Bible. And he mentioned another book, I forget which one, but he said, I've sort of, but but like go nuts, go 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 in there, get get that resurrected again. You gotta be kidding me. So he, I, I was amazed. I never, I hadn't seen that letter, but I just came across it in the past month or something. We've dabbled in that on this channel. I remember we did a couple. Right. We did, um, you know, we had a Dr. Sherry Cooper talk about her thoughts on with diatoms, which are these Yo, microscopic the organisms. So cool. What they yeah. might correspond to. We did this look into the process of fermentation, where we went beyond Swedenborg's description to see uh, what the microscopic side of that might correspond to. I know this is probably not what he's thinking of when he says revive the science, but it's just so fascinating to me that he's saying, you, this is something that, that's self-evident enough that you could, I have some building blocks here, but you should be able to go on and really do this, man. Yeah, once you sort of get the hang of, look, there's about three things that everything needs. Yeah. You know, it's love or truth yeah. or, or usefulness, and it's got something to do with one of these three. And here's how it's put together, and here's how colors fit in. Here's how, whether it's hard or soft, or whether you drink it or eat it, yeah. or it's, you know, something else. And, and um, yeah, and I do think that would be so cool to, I, I always feel like I'm just scratching the surface of it, but I've gotten very interested. And I know a few people who've gotten really good at like telling, what, oh, this, this as opposed to that, what, you know, really thinking about I was recently speaking with a gentleman in the Boston area who runs a hologram company where he works with lasers to create images. And he was telling me, the Swedenborgian fellow, and he was telling me that the, there's a certain activation color for lasers, I'm probably going to get this wrong, when they, when they interact with certain elements. And that, for example, the activation laser color for gold is the same thing that corresponds, that, that's red, which corresponds to heavenly love in Swedenborg and ah. you can go down the the different elements really? yeah that that gold silver bronze the different bandwidth of light kicks off the different uh, that that wow, it was a it was sweet. a pretty tight match to Swedenborg's yeah, thing right. the one nice. the one place where I s- just da- like imagine correspondences is in ecology because I was studying biology for a couple mm. of years in college and so when I would start to armed with a couple of you know, starting points from what Swedenborg says about what what light corresponds to, what plants correspond to. I would just go walking in the woods, and just it just felt like I see them everywhere. I remember looking up at this tree, and tree being being like you know like a person regenerating, <laughs> but also like ideas. And that I saw the leaves. That the leaves are those things re- receiving light. But if you're standing below a tree, uh, the leaves can be between you and the sun. And thinking about those being like your ideas oh, that wow. soak up the sun's light before it gets to you mm. as a human being. So it just seems like you could do so many Blue Planet 3 about all the correspondences right. in nature. Mm. So, yes, good. Let, let's do we'll, one. We'll let's, do it. Let's do it. We we're can gonna, fundraise for that. We'll get, get it started. Start right Thank you. now. Okay. Yeah. The first correspondence. Just kidding. Let's go to the next question. Miss D asks, why do some people have more traumas and trials and the others objectively do not? God tests the ones he loves the most. Some, some told me, what? No. Why some? Yeah, so it's the, right. the hardest question in the world, which is, That's right. why do we have to put up with life? Right. And why is it so seemingly grossly unfair? 
some people seem to sort of breezy, easy, breezy, and oh, I, I've, I almost forgot to fill out my application, but I got accepted anyway. <laughs> you know, and other people are struggling and fighting, and they can't. Get What's that anything. episode of The Simpsons where <laughs> there's Homer and then there's Frank Grimes? Has anybody seen this? Where uh, Frank Grimes <laughs> is a gentleman. If anyone's not familiar with The Simpsons, there's a gentleman named Homer Simpson who is the lead character who doesn't have a lot of admirable qualities. He's that's right. Uh, some people would say lazy. He, he's maybe not that well educated. He, he has some some dubious ethical things. But yet this is this Frank Grimes guy comes up and is like, wait a second, look at you. Like you don't care or try about anything, and you have this beautiful house and a beautiful family. <laughs> and Frank Grimes, on the other hand, has had the worst luck in life, and all kinds of horrible <laughs> things have happened to him. And so it goes from there. But why does that dynamic exist? Yeah, and that is a really, really tough, tough question. Um, an interesting, weird, weird answer to me uh, that, I, that I read in Swedenborg thinking about this for a long time uh, is that actually there are some people uh, who the Lord knows because he has this foresight mm -hmm. that they're going to have a tough time in the other world. Yeah. And so he'll actually give them kind of an easy ride in this world because he knows it's going to be rough uh -huh. on the other side, you know, because of choices that they've made and yeah. so on. And so there's some people, interestingly, who are not, it fits a little bit in with the question that, that there are some people who are not suffering because actually their situation is pretty bad hmm. and the Lord has kindly given them a, a, an easier time right now, whereas other people are on a better path are suffering and going through this gut-wrenching pain yeah. and self-doubt and, and whatever, and actually their, their situation is going to be uh, glorious later on. But it's not a simple one-to-one -one relationship. There's something Swedenborg said that I, I think is uh, <laughs> very uplifting, and I'm being facetious here. He says, the entire human race is in distress. Now, I was sort of hoping there were some people who, like the ads show you, who are actually having a good time. But yeah. he says, no, the entire human race yep. is in distress. And um, so I think even it, what's tough, as people say, is if you compare your inside with somebody else's outside, like you really don't know anything about what they're going through. Yes. You know, the fact is they may be going through all sorts of, you have no idea. You think, oh, well, they're so wealthy or they're so whatever. But the, um, you know, that can have a tremendous burden or they're having a frustrating time or they've got enemies that are yeah. attacking them all the time, whatever. You, you don't know. Uh, different people go through very, very different things. All I can think, I keep coming back to the idea that I believe in the Lord's love and I believe that at some level that we cannot see, it's actually somewhat fair, or at least there, there's love over everybody and yeah. everything that happens. And s some people do suffer here. You know, they, they get on a payment installment plan and they pay early. Yeah. Uh, some people sort of breeze through this life, but then he describes some people who go through some difficult stuff after you die. Yeah. You know, really sort of wrenching, you know, vastations, he calls them. Yeah. And st so you can't necessarily judge uh, just by what it looks like in this world of appearances. Uh, yeah, and I would, I would also say the reverse of that can be accurate. You have sometimes people feel like, why do I have it so easy and pampered and other people are out there suffering? Am I less worthy of things? And I, again, think what's happening externally does not necessarily dictate the internal experience.
Yeah. Like there's times when I've been through some things that would be classified as suffering, right? And and like pretty tangible, the big ones. But that doesn't mean that that I that somebody who hasn't had something like that hasn't necessarily suffered more or less. What I find is right. you couldn't like draw a timeline of my life and the obvious things which you'd think would be the most suffering is where I was suffering the most. Right. There's this whole internal true, world. You yeah, never know right. what people are going through. Also, I would say that Swedenborg very much asserts that God is not testing anyone. In no, that, that's like, right. I think you're going to be pretty good. Can you handle this? The right. only time Here, any... let's dump this on your head and see yeah. how that goes or something. No. But you, I don't care. I won't give you anything. The only time that anything bad is allowed to happen is when it can be used as a pro- part of a process that is improving you spiritually. Yeah. But that doesn't, ju- like, it's not right. like, oh, you have potential to improve spiritually, so I'm going to kill somebody that you love so that you go through that. Right. It there's no. this huge machine that I, it goes way above my pay grade to know what's happening when. Mm. The only reason why it's worth, you know, not just protesting the whole thing is this idea that um, in the end it more than balances out. Right. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's right. That's right. Uh, and, and that to me is very important because some kids who didn't do anything wrong, they get cancer and they're suffering or something, you know, yeah. and you're just like, well, what's up with that or something? Well, but if, if uh, dying as Swedenborg describes it, a beautiful thing. They yeah. go to another world that's full of love and we'll all be there pretty soon and, and you know, be reunited. No, that'll be a very different perspective than the one we get from this world. But there's yeah. no question that this is a, a veil of tears, as they say, yeah. and, and, uh, and a lot of difficult and baffling stuff happens down here where it does seem like, and that, that book of Job in the Bible is so great because Job is a good guy yeah. and he just gets every bad thing yeah. dumped on him, you know, and, and wonders why. And I've even found recently I've gotten clear on that I'm, I'm here telling people believe in this Swedenborg stuff and I'm telling them God is good and this is what's going on. It's not because I never experience frustration or despair or anger at how things go. It's because in my suffering, no matter what, these principles make it better. Mm. So it's interesting that rather than, I don't feel like I'm trying to convince you that everything's fine, everything's fine. I'm trying to say no. that this, this is how to alleviate that suffering, even as we right. go through it, even as we remain with questions and things. Right. This, for me, it's like when I turn to this stuff, my suffering is less. When I don't, it's more. Yeah. It's like a star on a, on a dark night. You yeah. know? It, it does sort of guide you through. Yeah, and I do think it. I think it's true, but even thinking it's true doesn't mean you're not going to be <laughs> very angry right. or sad or depressed in the meantime. That's right. right. Okay, we got to go to our next section here. We're going to get to a little bit uh, of a, a look into nativities and kind of oh. the, the, the setups that people put in their houses around the stuff like the wise men. Mm. Nice. Okay, so, you know, earlier, I'll just return a piece of it here. We have this, this, these little wise men in this star. That was from what you call a nativity, or mm-hmm. I don't know what else people call them, creche. Is creche scenes, yeah, manger scenes. And, manger yeah, scenes. Right. A lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people will put these up in their houses around Christmas time. And it's interesting, here we're talking about the symbolism of things like this, and that people want to be surrounded by representations of these stories. Mm-hmm. And so we want to like think about 
like what is that because we're tapping into correspondences around them and why do people do it what does it bring into their life and we wanted to sort of two birds with one stone we wanted to give a little thank you in here to Glencairn Museum because they hooked us up with a lot of stuff surrounding Christmas nativities so we had a couple of shows this one you've seen little bits of footage uh, of nativities that was from them we also did this Christmas show a while ago why Jesus was born you see this is really this is a, a footage right out of one of those yeah. and then we did another right. show last year called why did Jesus come to earth as a baby this is the same thing sort of their nativities from around the world um, and it's interesting because Glencairn Museum where we got this footage they, they let us go in there and do it for free this believe it or not even though it looks like a huge castle, was a home for a family. Yeah, that's right. At one point. And that family happened to be Swedenborgian. And if you go in there today and take a tour and stuff, there are quotes from Swedenborg, like inscribed on the beams mm, of this right. castle here. Carved right in. Yeah, and, and there's, there's, you know, picture, uh, art, Swedenborgian art in there now and stuff. So it's just uh, interesting to think about, okay, you have this, this scene of the wise men and, and the, the rest of the Christmas story, how do people want to bring it into their house? So we want to look at a particular, the family who lived here, how did they use these nativities to, to bring joy? Right, and in a way, the, the way the wise men, uh, these gifts were an embodiment of their joy yeah. and their excitement uh, for a lot of people, as you say. Those scenes, I remember from my early childhood, like yeah. I was just bedazzled, but you know, like yeah. I felt something so deep from these things. And it was fun. And, and the family who lived in this house liked to have this kind of imagery around at Christmas time to, to express that same joy. So here's just a little two and a half minute clip about that. My name is Jorlin Glenn, and we are standing in the upper hall of Glencairn Museum in Bernathan, Pennsylvania. Glencairn was the home of the Raymond and Mildred Pitcairn family, and I'm here today to talk to you about their Christmas traditions. They loved Christmas, and they loved celebrating it with family and friends. One of the very first traditions here in Glencairn was the Christmas Sing. In 1937, the Pitcairn family welcomed the Renathan community into their great hall for a Christmas concert. The building wasn't even complete. They weren't living here yet, but we still have that concert every year. They also hosted Christmas dinner up here in the upper hall for their entire family. They had eight children that lived to adulthood, and those children had large families as well. So Christmas was always a big time here. They had a big table that filled the whole space with table decorations from around the world and some by local artists where they celebrated together every Christmas dinner. Also throughout the building, they built in Christmas images in artwork some in stained glass, some in stone. Some was original to the building and some is medieval that they built into the fabric of the building. So here we all are in another area of the upper hall and I'm standing in front of a nativity that Raymond and Mildred Pickheron had commissioned specifically for this space. They actually had this begun before they moved into Glencairn, but they had the design of this space ready enough that they could ask an artist, Winfred Hyatt, to start the design of this piece. What we see here are the three wise men traveling with their camels, following the star, looking for the Holy Family to bring their gifts to the baby Lord. 
The Pitcairns love the magic and the specialness, the, the sacredness that nativity scenes could bring to their Christmas season, bringing the story alive for themselves and their children. This scene actually has curtains in it, and the scene would be covered until Christmas morning, and then the curtains would be drawn back, revealing the story to the whole family. The nativity is here because the Pitcairns grew up, Raymond Pitcairn grew up with nativities in his life, and he loved the tradition that it brought their Christmas season, and so they wanted this special one designed for this space. Cool. Many thanks to Jorlin and Glencairn Museum for everything they've done for our show. Check them out here. Give them a hello. Let's go now to check out what you said to the question in the very beginning. It's time for the ice melter. All right, what did y'all have to say? And this is a, a question that's open to some interpretation. What is a spiritual gift that you could give or receive? Excited to see how it all went down. This is how it begins. The best spiritual gift is truth. Mm. Yeah, discernment. Nice. The spiritual gifts that I can give is to forgive the people who have hurt me. Mm, gift good. to you and them. You can give and receive the gift of love. That's the best. I would give the gift of healing to everyone who is sick and needs it. Mm. Kindness is a spiritual gift I can give, right? But by example and by what you do. Spiritual gift is serenity. Compassion and empathy are the spiritual gifts we acquire from love. Such great answers. The spiritual gift I try to give is the truth, whether it's be personal or a spiritual one. And that's what I'd like to receive as well, the golden, golden rule. Golden rule. Yeah. Nice. To be able to understand and explain scripture as well as Dr. <laughs> Jonathan Rose. <laughs> that's nice. Uh, love, that's the best gift. Isn't prayer a kind of spiritual gift? Oh, yeah. yes, prayer. I second that one. Okay, there <laughs> nice. we go. Right, that's a gift. It's a, it's a gift to change your ways for the better for those who live with you. Mm. I think I'll go with John's. Okay, so we have a couple of people <laughs> nice. like jumping on each other's bandwagons here, which is awesome. You could give the gift of understanding what another is going through. Mm -hmm. And then we got one more, I think. Allowing others to be themselves without judging them. Mm. I will answer the gift y'all give. Curtis, you have a gentleness in your ministry. You respect other spiritual freedom. I've benefited from that gift so much, and I try to give it. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Pass Joy. Yep. So you wonderful. got the email I sent asking you to comment that? Just no. kidding. Just kidding. Thanks so much. T to always pass along the <laughs> gifts that have been given to me. They come from the divine and have liberated me from falsity. Only passed along are they fully fulfilled. Oh, that's true. That's the nature of it, isn't it? That's right. The spiritual gift of peace, which becomes a portion of who we are when we are living true to our Lord and His daily bread and how we manifest our daily bread. Mm. Awesome answers. That's there great. You go. Just so, great. Heartwarming. Mm, and you, you getting into those answers, you start to hear everybody's journey and how they're applying things. And it's just awesome. Thank you for doing that with us. Thank you for hanging out with us this year because this is the last Swedenborg in Life episode of 2018. Nobody told me. <laughs> oh, your contract is up. <laughs> uh, we've got, so there's two Mondays, you know, then there's a, there's a Christmas Eve and then there's a New Year's Eve. That's right. Um, and uh, we were going to not have anything on those days because we, we, we just, you know, everyone's gone for the holidays. That's but right. instead we thought we would give you something brand new. Ooh. So 2019... We're looking to expand our offerings to you. We, we love this interaction with you. We want to do it more and more. So for the next two Mondays, we're going to give you a preview of our brand new show, News from Heaven, which is going to be an, an annotated journey through Swedenborg's writings and looking how they apply and how they 
fill the mind and how, how they affect us and try to pass on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be trying to pass on in that a little bit of how I read Swedenborg and how That's it's useful great. to me. Because you could open up the books and a lot of people are like, how do you get anything out of Swedenborg? So I'm going to try to teach everything I know about that. And we're going to really go through piece by piece and kind of see what is this, what takeaway can we have here? And we've, mm. we've shot some of it. I'm really excited about it. So we're just going to give two, two Mondays to debuting that. And then in the new year, we're going to actually give you this show plus Swedenborg in Life. Ah, we'll get both. That's right. We'll have Swedenborg right. in Life at its regular time and News from Heaven at a different time during the week. So we're going to expand what we give to y'all. So that's ah, going to that's be, a blessing. That's going to be super fun. That's a spiritual Hopefully gift. you'll join us for that. And if you don't mind, please support us on Patreon. Like and subscribe. I'll say it again, do that, but also support us on Patreon. That's where you can go and give a little bit each month. And in return, we give you some behind-the-scenes stuff. That's what makes... This show, new stuff like News from Heaven, all of it possible. Yeah. It's been a great year hey, getting to hang out thanks, with you. Thanks, Curtis. Yeah, and we'll, thanks we'll, for inviting me. We'll be back on January 7th with another Swedenborg in Life. In the meantime, please check out News from Heaven Monday, same time. Tell your friends, and uh, I'll see you then. Swedenborg in Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner, with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner.